Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to the new episodes of Radio Rehab. I'm Dana, and I'm a recovering addict and an alcoholic. I'm clean and sober right now, but I've struggled with the disease of addiction for most of my adult life. It began when I was a teenager. I've had bouts of sobriety, and even during the bad times, there's always been some part of me that wanted to live life the right way, the way I am now. This show isn't just for addicts, it's for everyone. Some of my guests will be familiar to you, but their stories will be new, heartbreaking, and awe-inspiring. If you aren't one of us, you surely know us. We are your wives. Your husbands. Your daughters. Your sons. And we've gone through hell to get to the other side. This show is dedicated to the ones who didn't make it. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab. I'm Dana, and you got a pretty mouth. The reason we're playing dueling banjos right now is because I just returned from the motherland, that being the South. Enjoy these banjos. I'm going to learn to play this song and come in here, bring it in. So I'm here in studio with producer Char, uh, back after a vacation I had to take a sabbatical, and no, it didn't hurt. Uh, I went to the South with my mom to see my grandmother and to see my family, and I'm here to tell you that um, meetings are a requirement if you would like to not freak out and become a dry drunk like I did. Are we really still listening to Dueling Banjos? (laughs) Squeal like a pig. Okay. You gotta make it keep going. Yeah, it's good. Why not? Fade it out some eventually. people might be some people might be uh, doing some kind of a hoedown yeah, dance, like Ashley Simpson did on SNL when Jeez. the Millie Vanilli thing happened. <laughs> um, so I got to see my my share of uh, Confederate flags. I I ate. See, I was gonna say like I was proud of myself for going off my sugar thing because I I have a problem with sugar. I eat a lot of it, and I was like, God, I didn't really eat much candy while I was in the South. But that's because I ate coconut cream pie for breakfast like for four days in a row, and I don't feel bad about it. I think my words exactly when I opened the pie was, "I just want to stick my face in it." God, the f- I came back from the South carrying a lot more ass than I left here with. I will say that. Um, I did. I I went to one meeting in twelve days. Uh, actually, because I, I actually I was trying to get prepped for leaving, so I didn't go to meetings for like. So it was probably like two weeks and all that. I didn't go to meetings because I didn't go the last few days I was here either. And um, by the time I got, by the time we were at the airport ready to come home, um. M- my disease voice was louder than my speaking voice. And my speaking voice is pretty damn loud. I get told that a lot. Um, I have a theatrical background. But no, so I got into a fight with a TSA agent at the airport. That This was this is how everything wrapped up. When I left, I was very spiritual. Uh, I got to do my ninth step. I got to make uh, do some amends with, with some family. And that really, you know, 
impacted me. It went well. I could see the promises coming true in my life. Things were great. And then by the time I'm at the airport, I'm like, damn, if my mom wasn't sitting next to me on this flight, I might get a drink. Not really, but maybe, I'm just saying. Uh, because I was so agitated, up in arms. I was, because we had priority boarding when we were leaving, and we left from a major airport. We got through security real fast. So I guess they didn't really do any kind of thorough check on me. And I, unbeknownst to me, there was a tiny, really adorable knife in my wallet. Um, like a buckskin knife. Pretty hardcore knife. And then there was a cute little gun keychain. And when you pull the trigger, a knife comes out. One of my cutest things in my purse, in my opinion. So I was able to go to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport with that. But, you know, when we come back in Jackson, Mississippi, the Medgar Evers International Airport, there's not a lot of people. So, boy, did they go through my purse. Um, And they found those knives. And I proceeded to get into a fight with the TSA agent. Just, I was being, you know, I just had a really crappy attitude, like a dry drunk. And as I'm on the plane, I'm like, I great, now I owe another amends and it's to a TSA agent. Who apologizes to a TSA agent? They're basically Nazis. But so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to write a letter. I'm just going to write a letter, but I don't know that one's name. So I'm just going to say to the Jackson, Mississippi, Medgar Evers, International TSA agent. Uh, but how are they going to remember me? So I'm like, how do I describe myself? Oh, I was the girl who obviously kind of had a half Yankee accent, half maybe some slightly Southern thing going on because I'd been there and I'm from there. Uh, and I was carrying a stuffed chicken who's holding a flower. Oh, my God. They would have been checking my, my letter that I wrote them, my apology letter for Prince. Like, they would have thought I was Timothy McVeigh. They would have, you know, come on my house wearing hazmat suits thinking I'm trying to kill people because I would have sounded crazy. Hey, I apologize for getting angry at you for taking the knives out of my purse. I'm the girl who was traveling with the stuffed chicken named Chicken Pea Flowers. So, yeah, that amends hasn't happened yet because I'm not sure if it should. I should probably run that by my sponsor who I have been seeing on a daily basis pretty much since I got back from the South because I came back a dry drunk. So yeah, this just in, it, it, the disease doesn't get quieter when you don't go to meetings. <clears throat> yes, producer Shar. <laughs> so as I raise my hand, yes, I have a question, teacher. Yes. Um. So, okay, you're gone for like 10 days or whatever, however long you were gone for, right? Mm-hmm. And in that time, you, you didn't, you didn't go to meetings mm-hmm. because of whatever, you know, circumstances right. or whatever and then you didn't go before that and then when you say that you come back and that you're a dry drunk how does like when did like when did you when did your level change you know what i mean or how does like oh it how, just how- happened slowly over time to where your natural thinking pattern becomes diseased and you don't realize it like my natural like at some point if if I was in the airport before I left and the thought came to my mind don't you let them take that knife off your purse they have no right to take that knife away from you I would have been like whoa 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 okay reality check I just sounded crazy in my head but when that thought happened in Jackson I had no buffer no no reality check I just went straight into you have no right to take my shank that I'm about to get on an airplane with <laughs> after 9-11. That made sense to me. And that's and it's that's like, completely, and that way of thinking for yourself is, and is this, I, I don't know, is like, I don't know if you can really talk for everybody else, but is that way of thinking what most alcoholics or most people with, with the disease go through? Like, 
that's that's what the program does to your kind of mindset? Well, they say so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think for myself, that's why I go to meetings to keep my head in check. And I've heard many an alcoholic and an addict say point to their head and say, this is what scares me. Like, I'm not scared of drugs. I'm not scared of alcohol. I'm scared of this thing. And they point to their head. No, it's you know, I mean, it's your it's, thinking. It's it's your thinking just as much as you're drinking. And well, the, the reason I ask is because I'm completely, I'm just completely fascinated by that for the fact that you're just like, you went one place and then you came back and you're like, you know, I'm a dry drunk. And to me, those yeah. two things are completely different, you know, or, you know, although, I mean, like, I don't really, until I learned from you mm-hmm. what the actual difference is, like, I would just been like, oh, well, you're, yeah, you're dry. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. It, well, it, so a sober alcoholic is what you call somebody in the program. Right. And I, well, a I dry learned, drunk is a, and, an alcoholic with no booze and no program. And over the course, <laughs> and over the course of doing the show with you, I've learned that in the yeah. past. And so then, like, now I'm like, well, those are like two really set, like you know, ding ding. Those are two really separate things. Like, how did that happen? How did that change? Because it's not like you're drinking or anything like that. But oh no, 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 no! Know, I'm still just as sober as I was when I left. Yes, I left. I came back. But with the it's same a sobriety completely day. different mindset, which causes yeah. you to become a a dry, dry drunk. Is just a drunk with no alcohol and no spirituality, like no program. You're just angry, and at some point. Like that, what makes people drink after that is at some point it's like, dude, I'm not trying to live life and feel like this. Give me some booze. Well, I know people that don't do the program regularly, mm-hmm. but they aren't angry. Were, did they? Were they real alcoholics? I would assume that they are. I, I mean, like as far as I know. But how do you they... know they're not angry? Like some people might say I wasn't angry, but that TSA agent would say I was angry. Just, you might, just, if I talked to you, you wouldn't have thought I was any different. Well, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, like, I, I, I just don't, from what I can tell and knowing their personality now, uh-huh. I don't see, like, I don't see them walking around with, like. But like, how do you know they have no program? Because I, well, I know them personally enough to know that they're not doing, that they're not. They do nothing to stay sober? Yeah. like they, they They did something, they did something in the beginning, and uh-huh. then once they, once they got through that like that kind of through that phase they're able to like just kind of live life and like as far as i can tell completely happy as can be and when i talk to them they actually are like yeah no i'm you know like i know that things are good and things are cool you know like i they got the vibe i don't i don't feel the chip on the shoulder like you when you're dry i feel the chip on your yeah, shoulder yeah but i know i've got the disease like i would say i had the i mean some people could have gone through a period where they just drank too much and couldn't control it and then they went to the program you know and then now and then they're okay I'm one of those people who has the disease of addiction really bad to where it affects all areas of my life. And I mean, I see people, you know, in in the town that I live in right now who have like there's one woman who's I love to death who has 38 years. This little old lady. She goes to meetings as often like as often as I do. I see her at a meeting almost every day. And that just goes to show you that's how you get 38 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've heard people say, well, you don't drink and you don't die. That's how you become an old timer in this program. But I, I mean, people I know who don't like people I know personally, everybody I know who's not going to meetings turns into an asshole immediately, almost immediately. Hmm. I mean, these are a lot of friends I have who are in their beginning. I mean, I'm going to say like their first five years of, of recovery. They all have to go to meetings 
Um, but even my sponsor, who has like a ton of time, goes to meetings, and she says the minute she stops going, she says she's gone through periods where she quit going to meetings, and then she notices the head change. She's not happy. Her serenity level's off. Everything bothers her. But, I mean, you could be talking about one specific person who I can't speak for that person, but maybe they don't have the disease like I do. Yeah. I've got a blaring disease. I was like, it's probably, yeah, it's probably not the norm, but I do, I know two or three people, I know two or three people that are, are like that, like the, like are kind of practicing quote unquote the dry the dry drunk lifestyle Mm -hmm. but don't have the chip on their shoulder like you said they would if but i mean like like i said it's like it's probably the it's abnormal that is abnormal you know what i mean that's abnormal and who knows what could be going on in their life i don't know but i mean i know some people uh Although I always hear about these people at some point drinking again and then thinking because it's, you know, it's been 10 years and they're like, I'm not, you know, I can drink like a normal person now and have a beer. And then within two weeks, they're back on like a gallon of vodka. But those people, the people I hear who do that, like they'll go to like an ashram or some, you know, or like Est. I'm not Est. I've been watching the Americans, which is completely set in the 80s. So I'm obsessed with Est right now. Wait, What? Carrie Russell and, and Reese, what's his name? Just they're, are you wait? Are you are you trying to tell me that the couple on the Americans is married in real life? Well, they're not, they're not married, but they just had a kid together. They did. Yeah. Well, I'm glad somebody's hitting that because he's hot. <laughs> I think that. Well, except he's probably got that accent in real life, yeah, he's and got I don't that think Scottish I like that. accent. Oh, it's Scottish. Is, 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 I think oh, that Scottish. might be okay. Or no, no Welsh, Welsh. Oh, Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> Scottish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am such it- a weird picky accent person. I am. Like East Coast, love it. Boston, New York, love it. Uh North Dakota, I'm sorry. But I'm well, sorry. And, and most of us don't know <laughs> I like I don't even watch that show, but I know it's an FX show. Yeah, and, I love it cuz they're they're like Russian he, spies. Reese, what's his name? Michael Ma- Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese is uh he was on the show Brothers and Sisters that's what I know him from and I've never seen that which yeah. was with with uh, Sally Fee- Fields and Balthasar Getty and Calissa Fockhart and all that and then Carrie Russell who's on that show who was for Felicity right uh well apparently they're together I just saw it in like my people magazine that they had a kid or something like that interesting so, so I don't know why we went on that oh, tangent because but asked. okay because asked okay so on the show it's a, it's set in the 80s and they're uh they work for the KGB, they're like KGB spies. So obviously they have to whack a guy every now and again, and you know they have to do a bunch of crazy stuff. So the guy, somebody who doesn't know exactly what he is, I think gets him involved with Est, which growing up in LA, everybody I was friends with, their parents had an Est phase. Mine didn't, but you know my dad had AA. So, but, but so what I was the whole purpose of it. What I was trying to say is. I know I said porpoise instead of purpose, and I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I just turned into Red Fox. The poipus of what I'm saying, no, so, is people maybe get sober, and, and they get sober a different way than the program. They'll do, like, Est or, uh, what's the other thing from the 80s and 70s? Uh, Tia, Transcendental Meditation. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman did it. Howard Stern actually still does that, though, so, I mean, it's still a thing. Um, and Jerry Seinfeld does, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I think that people have to have something to keep their head right, and I know for those people that's what does it. And then some people like or become yoga people, and and uh, some people become um, 
you know, crazy meditators or, or Kabbalah people or, you know, whatever. But I mean, I'm just saying like for me, the program is the only thing that works because I've seen a lot of people who are like, yeah, I got sober through AA and I got three years. And then I was like, I'm just going to become a, a yoga person. And then they do their yoga things and go to their yoga retreats. And then their yoga friends who can have a glass of wine one time and not have it affect them, they end up drinking with those friends. And then they're at home, you know, buying a bottle as soon as the meet, the dinner's over. That's usually the way I hear it working out. But all I'm saying is, like, th- I have to work a solid program of recovery to keep my head straight because um, – because I'll do things like argue with somebody about trying to remove a knife from my person before I board a plane. And that's just not right. Uh, but another thing that happened in the South is uh, I have a family member who went through treatment, which was really, I'm really proud of him. So proud of him. So happy that he did that. Um, and really amazed about the level of drugs that are running through places which, you know, most people haven't even heard of in the South. And I got to go, you know, I visited this family member in in treatment. So I got to hear people, I mean, with thick, thick accents talking recovery jargon. And it was just, it was fascinating to me. It's also fascinating to me that heroin is now in places where it's like, you know, because my dad always used to say, oh, we should have just moved back to the South and you never would have become an addict because you wouldn't have been able to get that. You know, and it's like, you know, I would have been able to, you know, maybe go to a doctor, but, you know, Vicodin, whatever. I wouldn't have been able to do, you know, my opiate drug of choice. But hell, now, now that drug, those drugs of choice are everywhere. They're in the backwoods. They're in the backcountry where people will tell you that you have a pretty mouth. Not really, but since we started off with the deliverance theme, I, I figured I would just go there. Um but, you know, I, if I went back there, I, I would just become addicted to food. I didn't eat anything that wasn't fried. Everything that's not fried looks like badly cooked sashimi to me. I go back to being a five-year-old where I hated my mom when she tried to make my food healthy when we moved to California. Uh, but the reason I, I bring up this whole opiate thing is um, opiates are the big thing in the news now. They were always the big thing for me because it was my drug of choice. Um, but since Prince who recently died. Um, and by the way, I just found out Prince was killed from my doctor, the doctor who got me on on buprenorphine years ago. I told my mom and she said I needed to come over and pick her up from the floor. Uh, yes, I am going to try to get him on the show. Um, hopefully he doesn't listen to this episode though. So anyway, my doctor, it was his son who found Prince on the floor in the elevator. I think that's really crazy. And although what a small world. And so people like Prince and Michael Jackson are suffering from this new thing called VIP syndrome. And VIP syndrome is when you're an addict and because you're a celebrity, your doctor doesn't go through standard procedure, which is if it's a level four narcotic, you hand that prescription to the person and you don't give them more than a 30 day supply. Uh, If you're if you're, you know, a celebrity, you're getting VIP treatment. You know, they're handing these people like deadly amounts of opiates and I mean so Elvis for example my lord and savior uh was on Percodan Prince was on Percocet the only difference between Percocet and Percodan is the difference between like Tylenol and Ibuprofen mixed in with um the morphine sulfate uh people think that oxycodone is oxycotton it's not oxycodone is generic Percodan um Morphine sulfate is oxycotton. Uh, so Prince was basically on Tylenol mixed with, with, with a, mor- a morphine. Elvis, when he died, had like Percodan, 
10 times like the normal level of codeine, methaqualone, uh, morphine, merip- what's it called? Meperidine, something like that. Meperidine, I think. Ethchlorinol, diazepam, and several barbiturates. Elvis went out like, I, I wasn't going to say like a rock star, but I mean, Elvis went out <laughs> with a lot, with a, basically an entire pharmacy in his body. And it's because of Elvis's doctor, Dr. Nick. Of course, I know his name. I know, I, like anything, of, I wish I could get paid to just know stuff about Elvis because that'd be a great job for me because I'm a fountain of useless knowledge when it comes to the king. Uh, I like can tell you everything that was like in his stool sample. <laughs> it's Jeez. like ridiculous. I can tell you his doctor, Dr. Nick, was Greek. Um, and I was all excited because I share a nationality with um, <laughs> the, the doctor who's the reason Elvis died. But and, and also, I was born like 30 minutes from where Elvis was born. That's really what I share in common with the king, is that we were both, we were both born in the sovereign state of Mississippi. Um, and that's where I was when I was not going to meetings, which I should have gone to. I would, I would probably love to have friends in the program there. But so the, this, whole, this whole opiate scandal that's happening now, and it's like, you know, what can we do about it? Uh, we on Radio Rehab, we're gonna ha- I'm going to have a show coming up. Uh, Dr. Genovese, who is the chief medical officer at Sierra Tucson Rehabilitational Facility, they have this new thing that they're doing now called a naltrexone implant. The way that differs from uh, the buprenorphine that, that Prince and I would be given is... If you try to use, like, so if they get, if Prince was on the naltrexone implant and then he goes to Walgreens and picks up his Percocet, whoever's refilling his Percocet, he goes to Walgreens and, and picks that up and takes it, he will go into immediate withdrawals. So, like, if, let's just say a baby in somebody's house accidentally eats their heroin. I don't know who leaves their heroin out with a baby walking around, but let's just say that happens. They take the baby, and the baby immediately goes into uh, the emergency room, and they pump that baby full of Narcan. And that Narcan, in turn, pumps the opiate out of the baby's body. So the baby's pupils will dilate. He'll start throwing up out of both ends. It's... It gets it out of you really quick because it throws you into immediate withdrawal syndrome. You can't use on naltrexone. I know that because I've used on naltrexone. Here's how that happened. It didn't used to be an implant. It was a pill. And uh, they would put it in my mouth. At the, at, I was doing aftercare at this treatment center. They put it in my mouth, and I'd spit it out real quick You know when they weren't looking. But unfortunately, it got into my bloodstream a little bit. So the fact that I had been using that I had used the day before and had opiates, I immediately started to go into sweating and feeling like I was on crack and acid and wanting to hide like under my bed for years. So naltrexone implant is this new, it's, it's, I mean, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with it. It's fascinating. We're going to have a patient advocate and, um, the chief medical officer for Sierra Tucson come in here and they are going to talk to us about the naltrexone implant. I'm going to interview them and uh, we will get some answers about this new thing that, that, you know, possibly could have saved Prince that could, you know, is probably going to be saving people left and right. Because I'm guessing, although I don't know this for a fact, that if you're underage, I bet they can put it into an underage kid without their consent, which is kind of cool 
because you know your kid's not going to OD if you stick a naltrexone implant in them. I mean, I think it's great. And say they're 16 and you get, like, what, two years of them stuck with that. That's two years they're forced into not using, and maybe the seed can be planted in that time. I think I'm really excited about this. I think this is a really great idea. If you uh, have questions that you want to be part of that episode where uh, I ask the doctor and the patient advocate, and, or if you want to be on the episode, email is radio rehab at go to productions at go to productions.com. The phone number you can call or text is 415 496 9511. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is radio rehab at radio rehab. I mean, um, so yeah, check us out, send us your emails. That show will be coming up here uh, probably next week. And I, I'm I'm thinking you guys probably have questions that you would want to know about this. It's the naltrexone implant. I know I have a lot of questions. Why don't you let us know what yours are? So thank you for listening. It's been a great show, producer Shar. I know you've done like 50 shows today and you're exhausted, but thank you for being here. Happy to. It, it, it's been a while, so it's a it's good to to jump back on that horse and get get moving again. Yeah, your addict friend is back in your ear. <laughs> I'm the only addict. Well, no, I'm not the only, but I'm the most talkative addict in her life, basically. And, you know, congratulations to anybody who goes on a trip and comes back with the same sobriety date. I did that. I'm very proud of myself on the back for that. I am very proud. Um, I actually flew back on the day I was I was celebrating a, a little sobriety milestone. So um, that's another reason I didn't get loaded. And you know what I did the next day I got back? My ass went to a meeting. Not only did my ass go to a meeting, my ass secretaried that meeting. Uh, because I had to do some service because someone else was ill. And that is the only thing that saved my ass, my 10-pound uh, heavier ass than the ass that I left here with because of fried okra. Oh, my God, my family can cook. God, I ate the best food. I had the greatest time. I just want to say I love Dixieland. And uh, if you're an addict, an alcoholic like me, then stay sober, please, until next week. Thanks for listening. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and